Greetings in the name of the triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I'm blessed to pastor the small rural congregation in which I was raised. Please join us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information about our small rural congregation, please visit SamanakBaptistChurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K BaptistChurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the SBC Daily Word for Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. We're in our verse-by-verse exposition of the letter we know as 2 Peter. We did yesterday just a bit of an introduction to the entire letter and then looked at the first two verses that sort of form an introduction to the entire letter. And then now we're going to begin to explore a few verses at a time, basically verses 3 to 11. So this morning... We're just going to look at two verses again, verses three and four. And again, one of the things that's helpful for us to remember is usually in a Greco-Roman first century letter, in the first paragraph or so, often what the author is doing is telling us what he's going to tell us. In other words, what Peter's doing in this first section is kind of setting up the ground from which he is going to make commands and teach certain truths. So we're gonna walk really slowly through verses three to 11 so that then when we get to other places in this letter, we'll have been set up to understand this letter that we are calling a farewell letter. The reason we call this a farewell letter is because Peter believes he is going to die soon. If you look at verses, verse 14, He says, I want to refresh your memory about these truths, verse 14, since I know that my death will be coming soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So there's this impending death that that Peter has made peace with, and he wants to leave this church with truths that he knows they need to be aware of. The other issue that leads Peter to write this letter is there are these false teachers who are coming. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. If you look ahead into chapter 3, these false teachers are robbing God's people of their hope that Jesus will one day return to judge the living and the dead, and to make all things, ourselves included, new. The effect that that's having on Peter's congregation is they aren't giving themselves to holiness. So the two big themes that that Peter, because he knows he's going to die, and because he knows about these false teachers, are hope and holiness. He wants this congregation to have hope that Jesus will return. And he believes that that hope is essential for them being a people who are holy. So the topic of godliness is now going to be raised. And what we're going to see just in these two verses is that God bestows God's nature 
by God's grace. God bestows God's nature by God's grace. So we looked at verses one and two yesterday, and we saw something perhaps we weren't expecting to see. Peter, who had the honor of being the rock upon which Jesus built the church. Peter, who had the honor of being one of the first apostles to respond to the good news proclaimed to, to them by the women that Jesus was alive, being a witness to the resurrected Christ was this honor. And then what he says now in verses one and two is that he is now bestowing that honor on all who believe the faith that he is passing on to them. So Peter as an apostle bestows the honor that he himself has received. Why would Peter do that? Well, what we're gonna see in verses three and four is as we've already summarized, God bestows God's nature by God's grace. Moreover, God is not content to live and move and, and be in the world without having a people that he has called to himself and with whom he is sharing his nature. We have the scriptures, we have the history of God and his people because there is something intrinsic to God about needing a people through whom his nature is displayed and with whom his nature is shared. So two verses, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us. That word is going to be repeated many times in this opening paragraph. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus, he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. Now, just a couple of observations about these two verses. One, knowledge of God as Jesus. Knowledge of God as Jesus is the basis of the grace and peace that Peter prays for in verse two. So if you look back at verse two, may grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So there's, there's this connection in this opening benediction between being a people who understand grace and being a people who possess peace is connected to knowing that Jesus is Lord. Now in the English, this is hard to see, but verse three is connected sort of by a conjunction. In other words, like the New American Standard will then say, seeing that his divine power. So there's this continuation of, okay, we can become a people of grace and peace and having this knowledge, this knowing of God as Jesus our Lord, because now his divine power has given us these things. So 
Peter is now going to describe for us what God has given us. And the result of that is we becoming godly people. So again, you know, if we didn't have an SBC daily word that we don't want this thing to go for 75 minutes, we could walk together through all the way verses three to 11, but we kind of got to, for sake of time, pick it apart in, in two or three verse chunks. But if you read through second Peter one, three to 11, and can I encourage you to, to get in the word yourself and, and, and to read in your own copy of God's word, and maybe even in several different translations, what Peter is arguing for, because he's going to very quickly, and we'll see this tomorrow, start to talking about the work we need to get to in the pursuit of godliness. But we can't, when we get into those commands to be godly, forget that the reason we can become godly starts in verse 3. Again, look at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. So Peter's going to say some really significant things about virtue and transformation that we need to pursue. But we must connect those commands to first this foundational principle. And I summarize it this way. What we are given by grace is what causes us to become godly. What we are given by grace is what causes us to become godly. All the commands that Peter's going to give us about virtue and godliness trace their power, trace their fulfillment back to this gracious gift. This gracious gift, again, that's connected to this prayer in verse 2 of may grace and peace be yours in abundance through knowledge of God and, and of Jesus our Lord. So again, that thing that makes us godly is, is knowing who God is revealed in Jesus and knowing what it is that God has given us. We can become virtuous people. We can become transformed because of what God has given us. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So you could put it this way. The content of what God has given us is the knowledge of who he is in Jesus. Beloved, we spend so much time as a congregation talking about God is like Christ, Alan Hirsch says, and in God there is no unchristlikeness at all. Brian Zond says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There never has been a time when God wasn't like Jesus. We have not always known that, but now we do. We talk about that so much, and one of the benefits of that is, according to these first few verses in Second Peter, is that as we know God as revealed in Jesus, that is essential for then us becoming godly people. If we have a wrong idea of what God is like, if we have this, this idol of a false image of God that is somehow behind the back of Jesus, that maybe Jesus hides from us, the true God, 
then we won't have clarity about what godliness looks like. So beloved, so many times in Second Peter, and again, if you read these three chapters, it shouldn't take you terribly long, you'll see he repeats the English word godliness again and again and again. What does Peter mean by that? What he means by that is Christ-likeness. A.W. Tozer famously said, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. Connected to that, as Christians, the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about God should be not a what, but a who. Jesus must be, if we consider ourselves Christians, the first who that comes to mind when we think about Jesus. So again, let's continue to unpack this. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus, he has given us through these things. So it's the glory and goodness of God to now give us things, to give us what? These precious and very great promises. So the glory and goodness of God is to be a God who makes promises. And then now Peter's going to begin to describe the result of believing the promises of God. So that through them, I'm in the second half of verse four, through these precious and very great promises, through them you may, two things, escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust, and may become participants of, in rather, the participants of the divine nature. So there is so much to unpack there, and now you're kind of understanding why we're only taking two verses at a time. So first, through trusting God's promises, we escape the corruption of, this, of the world. Later on in chapter three, one of the things that Peter is going to say that characterizes this world is that it is mortal, it is corrupt. This world as it is, is not eternal. That ultimately we're gonna see in chapter three, God's plan is to make a new heavens and a new earth. And the reason it's corruptible, the reason it's subject to decay and death is because of lust, is because of a desire for the wrong things. But what God wants is his people to trust his promises and that through them, we will escape that, but then we will escape that for another purpose. We escape that to become participants in the divine nature. So I wanna give you two quotes by people outside the Bible to help describe something that is clearly taught in the Bible. The first is by Irenaeus of Lyon, L-Y-O-N-S, Irenaeus. He was a second century church father, somebody God used by the power of the Spirit to help keep the apostles' doctrine pure in the second century, the 100s. He said this, Jesus Christ, through his transcendent love, became what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. Being 
the union of God and man, being a son of God. So Jesus is, by his very nature, the son of God. And what Irenaeus is saying is that what Jesus comes in the work of atonement to do is to then make us by grace what he is by nature. Scott McKnight says something similar. Scott McKnight is an American English-speaking theologian. Um, he is at Northern Seminary here in Lombard. Um, he says this, atonement, okay? The work that Jesus came to do through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Through that work, atonement is about God identifying with us so that we might participate in God. Beloved, so many times in the New Testament, this little prepositional phrase is used, in Christ. So many times in John's gospel, especially in chapter 15, Jesus tells us he wants us to be a people who abide in him. In that John 15 teaching, Jesus is described as the vine, we are described as the branches. So do you see how Jesus wants to be for us, not this distant savior who saves us from a distance, but he wants us to be joined to him, which is why Peter, who heard Jesus teach these things, says that ultimately the whole goal of atonement is that we would become participants in the divine nature. So where did Peter hear these things? There's several different places in the Gospels where we could examine this. I just draw your attention to two. John 17, this is in verse 11. Jesus is praying near the end of his life. John 17, 11, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you have, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one, speaking of us, as we are one. So the life of God, inside the life of God, there is oneness. And Jesus wants us to experience the oneness that the Father and the Son have experienced for eternity. Last verse in John 17, verse 26, Jesus is still praying. I made your name, the name that the Father had given him, known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. The intra-Trinitarian love of God, Jesus' praise, would be in us. The love that the Father and the Son have shared for eternity is a love that the triune God, the Father, the Son, by the Spirit, want to share with us. This is at least what Peter means when he says that ultimately the hope of atonement is that we would become participants in the divine nature, that we would experience the life, the love, the oneness that the Father and the Son have shared for eternity and they share in their very essence, that we would then receive that by grace so that the words that the Father says to the Son, the love that the Father feels for the Son would be words and love that we would both hear and feel. 
and what both Jesus in John 17 and Peter is describing in 2 Peter 1 is that this is what Jesus came to do. So just a few days past Holy Week, just within the first few days of the Easter season, we can look back on our Monday Thursday experience, our Good Friday services, our Holy Saturday silence and contemplation, and then our celebration on Easter Sunday as being found its fulfillment in us being joined to God as sons and daughters and being what Peter says is a participant in the divine nature, a recipient of, by grace, the very life of God. Beloved, this is what God was doing on the cross. I love the poetic way that Miroslav Volf, a Croatian Christian, describes the cross in this Trinitarian exchange. He says this, when God sets out to embrace the enemy, the result is the cross. On the cross, the dancing circle of self-giving and mutually indwelling divine persons opens up for the enemy. In the agony of the passion, the movement stops for a brief moment and a fissure appears so that sinful humanity can join in. We, the others, we, the enemies, are embraced by the divine persons who love us with the same love with which they love each other and therefore make space for us within their own eternal embrace. That reminds me of something that used to happen uh, when we were living in our 700 square foot apartment in downtown Dallas, Texas. There'd be times perhaps and, and Dalen and Allie were young. They're just barely two years apart, you know. So, so you know, Allie's barely one. Dalen's barely three or two and four. And oftentimes one of the things that they would do when you, Linda, and I were hugging, when you, Linda, and I were embracing is one of them would come and they would squeeze in between us. And they would hug me while you, Linda, was hugging me or hug you, Linda, while I was hugging you, Linda. And there was this way where they saw the love that we were sharing with each other and they wanted in on that love. Beloved, when God saves you and me, what he has done is he has opened up the loving embrace that the Father and the Son have shared eternally by the Spirit. They have both opened it up because they want to receive us. The Father wants to receive us as son and daughter. The Son wants to receive us as younger siblings that he can embrace us in his loving, protective arm, and the Father can receive us into his beating heart. Beloved, this is the God that we want to return to us in Jesus. Beloved, this is the God that wants to change us into holy people. Not people who simply obey his arbitrary commands, but a people who by the Spirit are becoming transformed from the inside out into the very nature of the God who is now the first person 
our Abba, and the second person is now our big brother, and they have given us the spirit that that transformation may take place. So that's four verses into our series of walking through Second Peter together. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll continue on with verse five tomorrow. Until then, may grace and peace and everything good be yours. Amen.